Welcome to Genderfuge, a podcast recorded in gender and society, a sociology and anthropology class at Mount St. Vincent University. My name is Kellyanne Mullinen. Today, using a student-generated interview guide, I will be interviewing Abimbala Shaboyki. Abimbala recently graduated with a master's degree in women and gender studies from Mount St. Vincent University. Her interests include black identity, autoethnography, Afrocentricity, storytelling, women, gender, and social justice. Our class prepared this interview by reading two chapters from Abimbala's thesis. Before we get into the roles of other mothers, um, which your thesis focused on, can you tell us briefly about your research process? First of all, what is autoethnography? Um, I would say autoethnography is mostly about um, telling stories, personal narratives, and it involves storytelling too. So my, although my work was not really on autoethnography, I did more storytelling and you know, poetry and prose for my work. And my work was based on experience. I wanted to talk about my experience of motherhood and you know other mothering and you know my relationship with my mother and how. Um, when it comes to the relationships between mostly black African women and their mothers, uh, talk about the turbulence and how, you know, how turbulent our relationships can be. And also, there are also good aspects of our relationship. So I just wanted to focus on that, that, you know, the myth about the strong black woman sometimes is not always true. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are weak. Sometimes we we struggle with that, you know, stereotype of being always strong. Sometimes mm-hmm. we struggle... You know, with that. So I think that was what I wanted to talk about in my work. Although initially my thesis, I wanted to write about feminism and how fe- feminism hasn't really had its impact on Nigerian women. But then I thought, why not write something personal, something mm-hmm. you know you know about, you know, something you add, when you get to the middle you won't get bored. So I felt like you know talking about my experience with motherhood and my mother was like a very good way for me to express myself and then heal at the same time. So, mm-hmm. so you said that um, women of African descent sometimes struggle with the stereotype of being always strong. Yes. What kind of effects does that have? How do you, how have you experienced that? I think it makes that? us, you know, we're unable to talk about how our struggles, you know, we're unable to talk about how the problems we're going through. And, you know, we always told we are strong. Like, it feels like we carry our community on our shoulders mm-hmm. sometimes. So mm-hmm. it's a struggle to always be the strong one, always carry the family, always, you know, handling everything on your own and all that. So it's a struggle. And I was just trying to, like, see if my work could break that stereotype and show that black women can be weak sometimes. Yes. We can, we struggle with a lot of things. We struggle with marriage. We struggle with motherhood. It's not all rosy and, you know, roses and and enjoyment all the time. So, yeah, (laughs) like, it breaks us sometimes, so... Um, and so um, this figure of the other mother is somebody who does a lot of that work um, of of carrying community and of supporting people. Yes, I think, I think other mothers help biological mothers um, in the community as well and also help raise their children. It's more like mentorship, I would say, because I grew up around women mm-hmm. because it wasn't, anyway, it wasn't like it was meant that way, but my grandmother, she lost her husband at a very young age, so she was a single mother. She raised six girls. Yes. So, And most of the women in my family have girls, so I was surrounded by women, so I was mentored by women and all that. You know, when my mom was struggling and all that, she got divorced and was trying to find a job and struggling. My grandmother was my other mother. My mom's sister to where my other mother, so they raised me when she was trying to find her 
you know, trying to balance work and you know do other things. So mm-hmm. they were my other mothers. So. Mm-hmm. Um, how are other mothers chosen? How did your grandmother, for example, end up taking on it's this role? It's not really for you? something. It's, it doesn't choose you. It's just something that naturally comes. I would say I am also an other mother because I also have cousins and you know nieces who. I look after two who, you know, I call sometimes at the high school, how are you doing, like, are you having problems, you know, talk to me, you know, things like that, because I think our community has a way of silencing women, and I say, like, I do not want to inherit the silence of my mother. Hmm. You know, I do not want to inherit that silence of not being able to speak your mind. Mm -hmm. So I ask them questions like, you know, how are you in high school, you know, is there anything going on? Is that because I think our society, our own community, or our culture doesn't really have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really talk to our mothers. We don't have conversations about you know things like that. So I have had the opportunity to have that relationship with other people, you know, cousins, not only people in my family, but outside of my family, being able to mentor and also talk to people about you know how our community changed the way the silence women have in our community and all that. So, mm-hmm. so as an institution. Um, as an institution, would you say that other mothering, you know, resists that silencing? Is it part of the role, or is it is this um, part of how you've taken up this role of? I think know? it's part of the role of other mothering because you are able to, you know, be, speak to other women who are not your mother. Because I, growing up, I wasn't really comfortable, you know speaking to my mom or telling her things I was going through at the time when I was going through depression. Mm-hmm. But I had someone I had to speak to. I had my aunt who I would always call, yes. you know, who I was, when I was having issues, and mm-hmm. she would listen and mm-hmm. give me advice. So I had other people who, you know, would listen to me if I needed the help. So they were my other mothers, they were my mentors, and they helped me, you know, navigate that turbulent relationship I had with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and is this a role that most African women take on at some point in their lives? Yes, definitely, because there's something called omugo in Nigerian culture where a woman gives birth and, you know, the mother goes to her, her house and looks after the child for her. So it's something that they... It's a, it's a cultural thing, so it's not something... It happens all the time. Yes. It's something that occurs regularly, yes. Uh-huh. Um, you say that this is a role that's typically reserved for elders? Not really, not mm-hmm. only elders. It's okay. not only elders in the community. There are, like, there are women who don't have children who can be surrogate mothers. So it's not reserved for women in the community. I also have surrogate mothers who I don't know, like writers, like um, Chairman Dadichi. I see mm-hmm. her as my surrogate mother mm-hmm. because most of the things, her books and things she writes, you know, are things I've experienced in my own community and yes. culture. So I would say she's my surrogate mother, even though I've never met her before, because I've learned a lot from her books and, mm-hmm. you know, most of times her, the conferences she gives and you listen to her words, you learn a lot from her. So I find people like that as surrogate mothers and other mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's about the way that you relate to Yes, you relate um, to their experience yes, and other females, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, interesting. Um... So students in our class, uh, you know, after reading your work, noticed that, um, you know, although many of us in this room come from very different cultural backgrounds, they could relate strongly to certain aspects of your story. So um, the expectations and disappointments that they experienced with respect to their own mothers, um, relationships with other women who took on these kind of maternal aspects that you're talking about. Um, Is this something that you would have predicted when you were writing? Were you thinking of this as something that might have sort of 
or do you think of this as something that might have cross-cultural um, manifestations? Definitely, it's cross-cultural because mm-hmm. we all struggle, you know, with our relationship to our mother. I think sometimes we. As, uh, as daughters, we put our mothers on such a high pedestal that when they disappoint us, we are like, you know, why would you disappoint me? But we forget that they are also human beings mm-hmm. and people, and we don't know their stories, and we never try to understand them. And I, and I always say that sometimes not everyone is meant to be a mother. Yes. Like, not everyone, because sometimes you bring children in. Children are, for me, children are a blessing. You bring a blessing into a cost situation, and... It affects them for the rest of their life, especially if their mother, the mother is not capable of looking after the kids and, you know, they're having issues and all that. So I feel like um, it's a cultural thing. Like, I struggled with my... I have had stories of women who have struggled their relationships uh, with their mother and have finally found a way to, like, come across. But, like, I found out that my like my mom is a, is a daddy's daughter. She lost yes. her dad at a very young age. Yeah. I lost my dad at a very young age, too, although he didn't die, my parents divorced, so we really didn't have a relationship. So there was that void, mm-hmm. and I found out, you know, me and my mother had similar, you know, stories of similar experiences when it comes to not having, you know, a male figure in our lives and all that. So I think writing my thesis helped me put myself in a shoe. Mm-hmm. I'm not, like, saying that everything she did should be forgiven or like make excuses for her but I'm just putting myself in her shoe and trying not to make the mistakes she made mm-hmm. you know and sometimes even when we are trying not to make the mistakes our mothers or our parents make we also make that same mistake because we are trying so hard to like separate ourselves from them I don't want to be like my mother but sometimes you end up being exactly mm-hmm. who you are trying not to be so mm-hmm. so can you tell us about some of the realizations that you reached through the process of writing your thesis how did how did that sort of shift your perspective I think I realized a lot about my other mothers. I realized how much they had impacted my life and how, you know, they made me the woman I am today, you know, ambitious and all that. I think my grandmother was, I think, one of the most, is the one of the most important people in my life because she was educated. She went to school, you know, she studied. She she was a teacher. She and she retired as a principal of a, a secondary school, and she impacted a lot of people's lives. And even till date, people always come to our house and you know see her and like thank you for everything you did for me, for encouraging me to go to school and all that. So I think she is one of the reasons why I really wanted to you know educate myself, you know, mm-hmm. change the way, you know, black women or African women are viewed, you know, mm-hmm. and all that. So she was one of my first mentors and has encouraged me to, you know, reach for the stars. Don't be, like, I feel like for African women, we are raised to to aspire to marry. Mm-hmm. I'm just using a Chiamanda's quote here. Like, we are, we are raised to want to marry, but boys are raised to want to, you know, have careers, have jobs and all that. So she changed that narrative for me, like, you can have both, you can work, you can build a house, you can have a job, you can have children, you can do everything you set your mind to. So mm-hmm. she was really helpful to me, you know, making me who I am today. Yeah, yeah. so you were able to reflect on all of that. Yes, and... I was able to reflect mm-hmm. and also reflect on, you know, my relationship with my mother and come to a place where, you know, I've forgiven her for whatever she has done to me or yeah. the problems we've had in the past mm-hmm. and also, you know, I've come to terms with, you know, paternal abandonment, feeling, you know, abandoned by my dad and coming to terms with, you know, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's very important. If you're able to forgive and let go, yeah. you, you're at a place of peace. So right now I'm at a peaceful place in my life right now. That's wonderful. 
Um, you talk about um, sort of a general or the um, fatherlessness as being sort of a common um, phenomenon yes. in your community. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? What's what's going on there? I think for me, well, in my I'll use talk based on my experience. Like we didn't really have men in our home growing up, so I was more surrounded by women. So I didn't really have male figures, you know in my family and all that, but it, it didn't really change anything because we, I had women who, you know, were strong, women who were able to impact my life in, in so many ways. So I think not having men in our family didn't really change anything, but then you feel the loss mm-hmm. of not having, you know, that male presence in your family. But then I think we had women who, you know, were strong enough and, you know, brave enough to, to you know, let us be ourselves and, you know, change know the narrative of even if you don't have a male figure in your home you can be anything you want to be it doesn't change who you are or mm-hmm. what you are mm-hmm. um you talk also about sort of the stereotypes that are confronted by um single mothers in your community yes um and so I think that's something that we see in Canada as well, you know, that single mothers um confront uh stereotypes um can you tell us about the ones that exist in Nigeria, though? Uh, I think, like I said, um, in, in Nigerian culture, marriage is put on a very high pedestal. If you're not married, you're not worthy. You understand? So I think most times single mothers are you know, seen as loose, are seen as you know, promiscuous, are seen as welfare queens, are seen as, you know, not good enough, mm-hmm. you understand? And as seen as, like, the single mothers will raise criminals or raise loose girls or, mm-hmm. or criminals as boys. So I think mostly these are the stereotypes, but I believe things are changing and, and people are beginning to see that being a single mother is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's, there's nothing wrong with being a single mother. And not everyone is single because they want to. Sometimes you're a widow or you lose your husband and you become a single mother. Like, it's not something... You, you decided to happen to you, but it happened that way. So I think people are beginning to change the narrative now. Being a single mother now, I would say, is not as terrible as it used to be before. You know, people are beginning to change the way they see um, single mothers now in Nigeria. What are the signs of change that you've identified? I would say, like, people are no longer judgmental of single mothers. Or people are no longer like putting them in a box and saying, "Oh, you you know you are loose. That's why you have a child. You have a child on your own." So I think people are beginning to change the way they see Mm -hmm. single mothers Mm -hmm. in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me see. Um, So, um, can you tell us is the practice of other mothering becoming more common um, in society today in Nigeria, or is it? Less well, common. While growing up, it was very common, but mm-hmm. it still is common. But mm-hmm. I think these days people are scared, you know, with the advent of sexual abuse, you know, child abuse and things like that. You know, people don't trust their children anymore with strangers. Like when I used to grow up, sometimes my mom mm-hmm. would leave me with a neighbor and she would be like, okay, that I would be okay because nothing would happen to me. Like no one would do anything, you know to me and all that. But these days, but people are scared, mm-hmm. you know, to leave their kids with people they don't know, even with family. So, but there is still other murdering, but I think people are more careful now because mm-hmm. of, you know, child abuse, sexual abuse and pedophilia and all things like that. So mm-hmm. I think people are scared, you know, to leave their kids with yes. people they don't know, but it's still ongoing. But I think people trust more family and extended family than outsiders. Right. Yes. 
So are those forms of violence um, increasingly recognized right now yes, in Nigerian society as well? Yes, it is. It is. Well? Yes, it so, is. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, do you know of any other cultures that practice other mothering outside of West Africa, or is it a specifically Nigerian phenomenon? Or? Although my research was more on West African culture, but I do believe other cultures do practice other mothering. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places in Europe and even indigenous people do practice other mothering. I noticed they do that too. Yes. And some Asian cultures do practice other modern, but my work was not on those other cultures, right. so it was mostly on West African cultures. So right. it's not specific to Africa or West African people. So You yeah. chose some other mothers here um, in the Halifax Regional Municipality, yes. I think, right? Can you, can you tell us about that? Uh, like other mothers who have influenced me here. Yes, as you've gone through your thesis program. Yes, um, because I know when I first came to Canada, you know, the cold, the winter was terrible. Uh-huh. And, and for like three, four months, I went through like uh, uh, a bit of depression. And I got to meet good people, you know, good women like uh, Katrin Martin. She was really of help to me because her class was so interesting. And being an indigenous person, we all sat in class in a circle. So we had to ask us about a day, you know, how are you doing? How is everything going? Like, what happened in the news this week? Let's, you know, let's discuss in class. So it really helped me to be more outspoken because I, I used to be very quiet. I never used to, like, speak. I would be, like, the most quiet person in class. But it helped me build my confidence and, you know, grow as a person. And I've met a lot of good people. I've met you, you too. I, like, my relationship with you uh, changed. Doing that project, that CAPSAP project with you really Thank changed. Thank you. That's wonderful to hear. The way I think about <laughs> sexual assault and, you know, and all that, and also Adra Cole, you know, Susie Brigham, a lot of, even Randy Hidley, although he's a man, yes. <laughs> I'd call him an other mother too, uh-huh. because he also impacted me in a great way, like he changed the way I viewed myself, you know, learning to love myself and love my identity as a black woman mm-hmm. and as an African woman, because I'd always had that aversion to not wanting to identify as African, but, you know, I've learned to love my culture. I'm not, we're not perfect, but, you know, I'm trying my best to be the best version of myself that I can be. Um, so connected to um, your naming of Randy Headley as another mother, is it sometimes possible for men to, to sort of, are yes. men seen as able to play that yes, role in your culture? They are. Yes, definitely they mm-hmm. are. Although I didn't have that experience, but I have seen other, you know, families I know where their fathers, grandfathers also played that role as, yes. you know, other yeah. mothers. So, yeah, yes, and is. would be identified as such? Yes, it would be. Um, and what about boys? Do boys have other mothers as well, or is this a... Yes, too. Yes, boys do have other mothers because it's not restricted to women alone. Yes. But in my experience, because we were all women, so we didn't really have boys in my house, so... We, it was restricted to women in my own family, right. but other families is not restricted to women alone or boys too are, are included right. in. Right. Um, so you said that for a long time you didn't want to identify as African. C- can you tell us about that? What? Uh, it's just like the the negative stereotypes uh, um, attached to being Nigerian, you know, or being African, or you know including the whole continent together and people calling Africa a country rather than right. a continent, you know, right. things like that. And, you know, those kind of stereotypes, you're trying to, like, stay away from things like that and trying to change yourself into something you are not. Mm-hmm. So I think those kind of things bother me, but it doesn't bother me anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm like, not all Nigerians are scammers. Not all Nigerians are bad people, you know. They have no. bad people everywhere. <laughs> they are bad scammers in, in Canada. They, mm-hmm. are, they are rapists in Canada. They are mm-hmm. bad people everywhere. So it's not restricted to 
to Africa. It's not restricted to Nigerian culture. It's everywhere. So I think the media is always hammering on the bad of Africa or the bad of West Africa. They never talk about the good. They never talk about the, the, the writers, you know, the the engineers, the chemical engineers, the, the people who are changing Africa little by little, and who are doing things, great things in Africa and doing great things in West Africa. So mm-hmm. I think the media is always talking about the negativity you mm-hmm. know, and all that, always showing those videos of African children <laughs> in remote areas with looking as if they're half dead and things like that. So things like that annoy me because that is not the Africa I know. You know that is not the Nigeria I know. Mm-hmm. And that's not the Nigeria I identify with. You understand? So it's just certain aspects of Africa they keep showing to people. You know, and all that. So I did not want to identify with that, but I have grown as a person and seen that those negative stories are not are, do not represent me or mm-hmm. my culture or does not represent me in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you confronted those stereotypes um, since you've arrived here? Are they I things- have. Um, sometimes, I think the first time I came here, someone asked me, oh, you speak good English. Where are you from? Like, I'm... <laughs> like, you're not supposed to speak good English. Like, I'm not supposed to speak good English. I'm like... Um, English is my lingua franca. That's what I told the person. The person didn't understand what I meant by lingua franca. I was like... <laughs> So it was funny. It's like questions like that, like, oh, you speak good English for a black girl. You speak good English for a Nigerian, you know, things, questions like that. Or, oh, I wasn't expecting you to look this way. I wasn't expecting you to look that way, you know, questions, weird questions like that. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I've had to experience that, but I haven't like I haven't seen it as something negative. I feel like it's a teaching moment to teach people that, you know, Mm -hmm. this view you have is the wrong view. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what it is and this is how it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see. Um, so the uh, the literature that you've sort of related to through the writing of your thesis and you talk about the role that literature played in your life uh, in your childhood as well. Um, that's been um, tell us about the role that that's played for you. What what has literature done? I think literature has changed me because I used to read literature where I didn't find myself. I couldn't see myself in like it was all white, you know, no black. But I although when I was growing, I did read books on you know the Nigerian culture and all that, but they were all by male authors. But Mm -hmm. I started trying to find books that, you know, I could see myself in, I could identify with as a black woman and Mm -hmm. as an African. So it was important for me to find books like that. And then I found Double State, which was uh, a book on other mothers by... um, I think about 27 uh, black black American and African authors. So that book really changed me, showed me a different, a different meaning to, it showed a different way you see motherhood, like how you know, women come together and you know, change the way the, their community is seen and, and making a difference in their community, providing, like you see black mothers providing for their children, you see black mothers, you know, doing social, social activism in their community. So it really changed the way I viewed, you know, black women and, you know, modern in the black community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you started this work, am I correct in thinking that you didn't think of yourself as a writer? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Far from it. I, like, I was like, I didn't think I could do it. I, 
I was like, no, like, I'm not very, I'm not a good writer. What would I write about? Like, what would I want to talk about? But then I think it just came to me. Uh, it wasn't something that I planned, but mm -hmm. it just happened. I never thought I had the talent to write. Mm -hmm. Like, I would never, if you had told me years ago that I would have written a thesis like that, I said, you are <laughs> absolutely crazy, but <laughs> it just happened. Like, sometimes you don't know you have the talent, but then, you know, it, it just comes to you and, you know, it just comes out of nowhere. Like, it was in you all the time and mm -hmm. you never knew it. Mm -hmm. So you'd been reading all of these years, but not, yes. not practicing No, writing. I hadn't been practicing writing. But now I write every day, most times. Mm -hmm. So I always write on my phone. Sometimes I get ideas and I start writing because I also plan, I plan to do my PhD probably in 2021. So I also want to do my dissertation. So something similar to what I did for my thesis, but a different topic entirely. So I keep writing and I'm trying not to stop writing. So I keep getting... Have you settled on a topic yet? No, not yet. Okay. I haven't made it my mind. Um, so we were wondering if... Um, I mean, you've had an opportunity to compare how things work in Nigeria and how they work in Canada. Um, and are there lessons about family or about community that you think it would be valuable to take from the practice of other mothering and to apply in Canada? I think um, just a sense of community, because I find here mm -hmm. there is, how would I put it, there's no sense of togetherness. I don't know, it, maybe it's just me, my own view of, of things. Yeah, there's no sense of togetherness. And... I want to use an example. When I, I went to London recently and I went to stay with my aunt and I found that, especially the African community in the UK, there is that togetherness. I find that you know, women who have kids, you know, they take turns in looking after each other's kids. When my aunt needs to be at work early in the morning, you know, one of the women, one of the mothers in that community comes and takes her kids to school. Yeah. So there's that sense of community, everybody working for each, everybody helping each other out. No one is alone. And so I think that needs to, you know, be learned here because I find that there's no sense of community, there's no sense of cooperation, especially when it comes to mothers, you know, who live. Everyone is alone, no mm -hmm. one helping, you know, women. It's not easy, you know, having a baby and then... You're all alone. There's no family, no one to support you and all that. So I think women really need that support of mm -hmm. women. You know, women, I would say women-centered network of women helping each other out, you know, to navigate those turbulent, you know, streams they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a single mother myself, I can say that especially when your child is young, it can be a very isolating experience. Yes. And so that kind of network, you know, would have been useful to me. Um, absolutely. Um, so, uh, what do you hope that readers and listeners might, uh, take away from, you know, from the story that you're sharing? What is it that you really want people to understand? Um, I would say I want, just want people to understand that, uh, motherhood is not, um, how would I put it? It's not easy. Being a mother, you struggle a lot with it. So I think at, at times we should be, um, how would I put it? We should be. We should sometimes put ourselves in our mother's shoes, mm -hmm. you know, to understand them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's good to understand your mother's background, you know, what, know where she comes from, what our family was like, you know, mm -hmm. some, because sometimes we, we forget that they also came from backgrounds that weren't that good, or maybe their mothers too weren't that good, or their parents, you know, weren't there for them mm -hmm. and all that. And so we tend to, like, judge them too harshly. Mm -hmm. And think putting ourselves in their shoes sometimes helps for us to see them in a different light and understand their story, I think. 
Why do you think we have such high expectations of our mothers and, um, correct me if I'm wrong, not necessarily of our fathers? Is, I, I think, think because we place our mothers in such a high pedestal. I did. I placed my mother on such a high pedestal. Like, you know, when this disappointment came, I was, like, throttled. I, was, I felt, you know, horrible. Like, I was expecting her to be the almighty mother forever and ever but then you know disappointment came and I had nowhere to fall back on then I had to fall back on my other mothers who were there for me at that time so I think we put our mothers on such a high pedestal but it, there's nothing wrong with that but I think we should shouldn't expect too much from people you know people always that's what I say people always disappoint you but then you always find people who always hold you down and hold who, people mm -hmm. who have your back and all that. So I think we place our mothers on a very high pedestal. Sometimes disappointment is painful, you know, so. Yeah. Can you tell us about the nature of the, the disappointment that you experienced or is that was I more think of a... More of my disappointment was I saw my mother as weak because her divorcing my father had a very, you know, terrible effect on her. She refused to move on mm -hmm. and... You know, she refused to move on from that marriage and refused to move on with her life, and which bothered me a lot growing up because I did not want to have that life of, mm -hmm. you know, being dependent on one person. For my, I think probably the effect it had on her was that she didn't have a father figure in her life and she wasn't taught to, you know, stand on her own as a woman and not be too dependent on, to put so much value. I think she put so much value on her marriage that... Yes. You know, it broke her. So I think that was my, mostly my disappointment with her that she couldn't move on from that broken relationship and, you know, move on and all that. And it affected me because she was in, depressed and me, I was, I was, I was the one, it was like I, it was like I was raising my mother. I was taking care of her, mm -hmm. you understand? So she wasn't my mother anymore. I became her mother. Mm -hmm. You know, I was taking care of her. I was handling everything. So the responsibility of me was much for, you know, being a child, taking that kind of responsibility when your mother is supposed to be taking care of you, but you were taking care of your mother. So I think that was my major disappointment. Yes, yeah. yeah. And you were what age at that time? My parents divorced when I was very young. I think I was four years old when they divorced. So... It would be like I was the one, like, growing up, I didn't really have, how would I put it, my childhood was kind of taken away from me because I had to become an adult early, you know, I had to do things early and, you know, do things that I, I wasn't able to, you know, interact with kids, other kids as much as I wanted to So because I had to be there for my mom all the mm -hmm. time. I had to be there for my mom, you know. You know, kids want to be like, I have to go home, I have to help my mom with this, I have yes, to help my mom yeah. with that. So I became the mother while she became the child. So yeah. I think that was my major disappointment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and how's your relationship with your mother now? I think it's better. Mm -hmm. I've learned to let go, you know, forgive her. So I think that has helped me a lot. And I know not everyone who gets to that stage of forgiving, you know, uh, our mothers for the things they've done or, you know, whatever we feel they've done to us. But I've gotten to a stage where I've let go and it has made me a better person, a happier person because keeping, you know, those feelings bottled up inside only makes you, you know, just keep building the hatred and building the anger inside. So I think that was what helped me with my thesis was that I was able to write down these feelings and I was not afraid to say them. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't say them to her, but I know one day definitely when I see her, I will have this discussion with her and, you know, talk about my feelings and all that. But being able to write it out down in a, in a book was really mm -hmm. helpful for me. It was, like, more like therapy for me. Mm -hmm. Has she read your thesis? No, she hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> will she read it? Will, will you give it to her to read? Or? I will definitely someday. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and what about the ways that you think about your father? Have have those changed as well? Or? Oh, I'm still trying to work on my relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. It's not, we are not there yet, but we're working on it. I am working on it. I hope he's trying to work on it too, but we haven't gotten there yet. Right. It's still a struggle, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, let me see. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us about your thesis? Mm. Are you, uh, you going to get it published as a book? Oh, I don't know yet. <laughs> I wanted to publish it in a journal, but I haven't. I'm still trying to like work out how I can do that, so mm -hmm. I haven't decided yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it'd be great to read it, you know, in a format where um, it would have a wider audience. because yes. it's it's wonderful work. That's the end of our formal um, interview. Thank you very much for joining us Thank today, Abimbala. Um, it's been great talking to you.